0: to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, To you, I do sound funny. But let me just say that to me, you sound funny. And I sound fine. So you're going to have to adjust to my accent this morning. You're going to have to hear God through my Aussie accent because I am not doing your accent. I'm pretty good at it, but I'm not doing it for 40 minutes here, or 20 minutes, 10 minutes, five, give me five. <laughs> you know, we, I just so enjoy when we come together in these times, and we have worship, and we hear the prophetic, and it's like the prophetic just flows so easily in these times of worship, particularly when leaders are gathered. It's, it's almost like you, you, you just have to think, and that the prophetic is on edge. And I want us to say that that's actually the season the church is coming into is God wants us to live there like that. And we were, had the great privilege of ministering in Greg Garrett's church Sunday week ago. And a, a, a couple got up with a one week old testimony of blind eyes opened during the service. This, this lady walked in, could not see. Medical reasons why she couldn't see. And her partner with her was busy being sceptical because people were having encounters with God. And he's getting all critical, like why are they pushing them over and why is this happening? Why is in the midst of him being critical? God says to his partner, open your eyes. And she says to God in her, in her mind, what's the point? I can't see anyway. God says, open your eyes. She opens her eyes and what do you know? She can see. I hope I haven't totally stolen one of your testimonies for this quip. But guys, this is the normal of the church. This is the what God is doing. He, the, he is wanting to pour out the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the healings in the midst of the skeptics. Can I go so far as to say even in the faces of the skeptics? I mean, of all the people to heal in that room... God chooses to heal the one woman standing next to the guy judging and being critical and cynical and putting down what God was doing. <laughs> maybe that's where, maybe Aussies are more Christ-like than we thought. Huh? <clears throat> what I want to talk about this morning is... <laughs> is something that I believe is going to help us step into the season that God has for us. Because we enjoy the worship, we love singing His praises, and oh my goodness, anytime I am going to preach in a meeting, I would love to stand in front of you two while you're worshipping, because (laughs) my spirit is just turbocharged just from your energy this morning. So thank you so much but we can get excited about that or we can live like that and we can worship like that all the time. And we can enjoy God's presence here together, but we can enjoy his presence anywhere, anytime, even on our own, anytime. God can do the incredible in us, through us, with us, anywhere, anytime. But there are some things that can present themselves in our lives that can make it difficult for that to happen. And I want to touch on a, one or two of those this morning. Won't you open your Bible with me if you have one? Uh, if you don't have one, Craig Mayer will be happy to give you his. We're going to read in Genesis eleven. We're just going to read well, the first—I don't know—eight or nine verses. It says, "Now the whole earth, including the Aussies, <clears throat> just because we are a long way away, all right? We get excluded from a lot of things, but the whole earth." and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have all one language. And this Is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. That's clearly where he gave some of us Australian accents. So they may not understand what I then so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the whole earth. So a number of times in those early passages, the, the early verses, but they're the whole earth, one language, same words. And then there's this phrase that pops up three times let us, let us, let us. And until that last let us, there was no problem with what was happening. God was not against this people being unified. In fact, the first is, first instance we see of unity in Scripture is in Genesis 1, where God said, let us make and create. And he made the world and man in his image and all of those things. And we know, because we've read Colossians, right? We know that God was the one who created Because Jesus was the one who spoke into being the creation and the Holy Spirit did the creating. So there was a unity in the creation that set a precedence for us as humans. Unity is an incredibly inspiring and creative place. Unity is a powerful place. But I think sometimes we can read a passage like this and think, well, what was the issue here? That it's very clear what the issue here was. That that third time it says, let us. See, the first time it was, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So they wanted something to construct with. No problem. Then they said, let us make a city even with a tower. We're building, we're constructing, we're doing something positive and powerful. No problem. Then the third time they said, let us make a name for ourselves. (laughs) Lest we be dispersed. So because they didn't want to be dispersed, they set out to make a name for themselves. And what was the result of that? They got dispersed. (laughs) That's a little key for us right there. So I want to say this, that God had no issue with a united people moving in the power of unity. What he had issue with was when the the focus of that unity became a self-centered and selfish goal, a self-centered purpose of making a name for themselves. So for us today in the church, if we can find this place of unity again, and if we can keep the purpose about making a name for him instead of making a name for us, whether it be my name, whether it be Craig Mayer's name, or NCMI, or our church, or whatever it is. If, we could, if any of those things creep into our thinking, and we start to want to make those names great, that's when we actually start to feel that dispersion power. <laughs> But if we can maintain the focus of, no, 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 we, we unite so that together we can make his name great. We've heard one of the key words this morning was faith. I believe as believers, we need to stop speaking the language of gossip and slander and unhelpful banter. Keep the good banter coming. I'm good with that. Tony, I know you're fluent. It's a gift, actually. You've cultivated and developed it beyond Stop the, some of that unhelpful stuff and cultivate the language of unity through un, the language of faith. The language of faith. Speaking faith to one another, speaking faith over one another, speaking faith into each other's situations and circumstances, releasing faith, knowing that as we unite in the language of faith, we're bringing the power of unity to problems and situations. God can do incredible things through united people. What God said of these people, and let's keep in mind, these guys had a selfish goal a selfish plan. They were self-motivated, self-starters. Oh man, wouldn't we love churches full of those sometimes and then get them in the right place with God. But even without that, he said they have one language, they are one people. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Why? Because of the power of unity that was released in their midst. Imagine for a moment the modern church, we're filled with the Spirit, we're worshipping God, we're enjoying His presence, His favour, His grace, His mercy, His peace, His kindness, His joy. All of those things are just hugely evident. But we've also dealt with some of the garbage that gets in the way of our unity so, we find this wonderful strength in unity. That's the kind of church that God looks at and says, Man, this is only the beginning of what that people are going to do. Yeah. In fact, there is nothing that they propose to do that will be impossible for them. Don't we want to be that kind of people? Don't we want to be those believers? I'm sure we've all had lots of propositions. Lots of proposals, what we think the church could do. (laughs) Nothing will be impossible, nothing that we propose, if we can maintain this power of unity. The Bible gives us a whole lot of wonderful guidance on maintaining unity. Probably one of the most obvious uh, passages with regard to this is in Ephesians 4, so why don't we have a look there for a moment. I made a, a mistake when I first came, actually the Sunday I was with Greg. Um, not a major mistake, not theological or anything, just a, a planning error. See, my devices don't like working with your mobile towers, so I had to go and get one of these little things. So now all my devices are connected to the world through this, so I can actually read my Bible. because. turns out my device needs to be connected to the internet so it can sync and all of that and so I can read the Bible. (laughs) So if if you're doing a little wireless scan to try and get on uh, Cornerstone's Wi-Fi and you see a a dodgy looking Wi-Fi called Surveillance Van, (laughs) I just wanted to give it a name to make sure no one would try and hack it, all right? (laughs) now I'm going to get all these requests to jump on surveillance van, no No, I'm not letting you in my van. <laughs> That's not unity of my broadband. <laughs> unity of God's purpose. Ah, eh, here they come. Yeah, one, two, three. <laughs> no, Marcus Herbert. <laughs> no. You are not getting in my van. All right, so Ephesians 4, we're going to pick up, read a few verses in, in uh, verse 11. This is talking about the gifts that Jesus gave to the church, and, it's, and it actually tells us the gifts and the purpose and what they do and a whole bunch of things. So let's read it. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Those are the gifts that Jesus gave his church. Then in verse 12, it tells us why he gave them to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, I started leading a church nearly 18 years ago. I was much younger, I had a lot more hair, a lot less wisdom, and a lot less grace. <laughs> and I was very cheeky. So, on one of my first Sundays, yeah, I, I, I didn't know all the rules of how to become a guy who leads a church. Okay, so I, I didn't, nobody told me that you go to a church and you serve faithfully. And he says, how's things? You're getting organized? I said, bro, I'm in the car. We're on the way. He says, oh, that's awesome. You know, it's so good. We're all the best. What are you going to do for your first elders meeting? And I said, how should I know? I've never been to one. <laughs> <laughs> there was this moment of Silence. <laughs> as I think he began to ponder, what have we done? (laughs) Our first elders meeting was great. It was me and my wife. They got harder from there, but anyway. (laughs) So anyway, while I was young and cheeky, as opposed to now when I'm just older and cheeky, I told the church, guys, I've, I, I haven't been through this process. I haven't eldered before. I'm, I'm, not, I'm new to this. I'm not good at this. Two weeks ago, I ran a business. Now I'm here to lead a church. I need you guys to help me understand how to lead a church. At that stage in the Sunday, I, I wheeled out a big whiteboard onto the stage and I took my marker and I said, guys, I want you please to help me with my job description." Just yell out some things that you think I need to know that I need to do. I've never done that again, but let me finish my story. (laughs) So some very helpful people began to give me some very helpful tips on how to do my job. And I took my marker and I wrote them on the whiteboard. It didn't take long and we had pretty much filled the whiteboard with my job description. All these wonderful things. I should be praying for the sick. And I should be having cups of tea with the old ladies. And I should be visiting people in hospital. And I should be raising up leaders and training the young people and all of these wonderful things all over this whiteboard. And it was really exciting. And I think everybody in the room felt very stirred that I was going to give myself to this job description that they had provided. But then we opened this thing called the Bible, which says that my role actually was to help them fulfill that job description. (laughs) So I thanked them all for telling me exactly what kind of believers they were going to be. And I thought to myself, how wonderful it is and how easy it is to, get, to lead a group of people that live like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And when that work of the ministry is happening effectively, it says it is building up the body of Christ. You imagine being a pastor in a church that does not look to you for its own building up. Because it is busy building itself up, doing the things that it's been equipped to do. That's the dream. Now I know that every time you pull out a passage like this, there's always somebody in the room saying, yes, but that was written so long ago and those gifts were for then and I'm what you call a cessationist and I don't believe those gifts are still... But that's why it clarifies how long the gifts are in existence for. In verse 13 it says until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So until the church is living in this wonderful unity of the faith and in a knowledge of the Son of God living in mature manhood until that is the case those gifts are still in place. You might say, but well, I am that mature. So maybe the gifts aren't still in place. Again, the Bible's so helpful because it says not just mature, but mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I don't believe that any one of us in this room this morning would put up our hand and say, I've reached the, the, the stature of the fullness of the image of Christ. So therefore, because none of us is willing to do that, and can I just say the more mature we are, the less willing we might be to do that, (laughs) because none of us is willing to put our hand up and say, yeah, I've done that, I'm there, I'm that mature, these gifts are still in the church. In practice, functioning, doing their thing today. And it says, so that, so this is the result of these gifts being at work in the church. So that we, the believers, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's the world we live in right now. The world is full of craftiness and deceitful schemes and human cunning and every wind of doctrine. It's like every breeze brings in a new doctrine. And if we're not going to get carried around and away and off track and off course and led up the garden path by all these things, then we need to be reliant on the ministry that these gifts are bringing to equip us all as saints for the work of the ministry so that the church can continue to build itself up in love, flowing in this wonderful power of unity. I'm much more excited about this than you seem. Then it says, (laughs) verse 16, uh, 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now that's talking about that wonderful transformational power of Jesus, where he takes whatever mess we were before we met him, and in a moment, in a nanosecond, he saves us. He changes our eternal record permanently forever in heaven. From that second of salvation onwards, the record of our life in heaven is the record of Christ. God gifts us his own righteousness, Romans 3. But I don't know if you've noticed but I certainly noticed in my life when I got saved, the moment I was saved, I was gifted this gift of God's own righteousness, but I hadn't yet learned to live that righteously. That's where the transformational power kicks in and takes us on this journey that will end in the when Jesus returns, where he transforms us into his own image and likeness. That's called growing and maturing and probably one of the things most resisted by the modern church. We want to be saved and we want to enjoy God and we want, we want, we want, we want, we want. But do we really want to grow and develop and mature and be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ? Which means we look less to everybody else like ourselves and more like Jesus. We're taking on that mind of Christ and thinking about Him and the what I'm about to do, does it benefit him? Is it good for him? Is it, am I trying to build a name for myself or am I trying to make his name great? That's what it means to be growing and developing and maturing. And then it says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by very good pastors like Marcus. <laughs> and if your church doesn't have a Marcus, you can expect... Some disunity. And you can expect some challenges and some difficulties. But if you get a Marcus in, he'll fix it all. Yeah, some, some people in our churches think that way. If we could just get a better gift. If we could just have a better pastor. If, we, if, we could just, if this guy could just be a little bit less of a leader and a little bit more of a lover. <laughs> then this church might actually have a chance of growing. What? Meanwhile, the pastor sitting back and saying, if this church could just stop looking for gifts and start being the gifts that God has given them and called them to be and grow and mature and function like the body, then the body will build itself up in love. (laughs) You are a gift. Every one of us in this room, you are gifts. And when the body, when every, rather than being held together by Marcus, although Marcus is awesome, I don't want to put the pressure of all of our churches on Marcus. Adele says amen. (laughs) Rather than putting all the pressure on Marcus, it says that it's held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love to link that passage to in Hebrews 13 verse 17. It talks there about leaders and obeying leaders and submitting to leaders. And, and this is something that builds unity in a church. Now, just let me share my Australian-ness with you for a moment because I know you guys are all incredibly submitted and honouring of your leaders and all that. But I'm an Aussie. <laughs> now, you know, just little things can make a big difference, all right? Now, if, if I said to Greg, you must go sit there. Greg would just, oh, of course, and he'd go sit there. If you said to an Aussie, you must go sit there, they're going to look at you like, who do you think you are? What do you mean I must? Like, for you guys, that's just everyday language. Oh, you must uh, have a cup of t- coffee with me in the break. Oh, sure. If I said to an Australian, you must have a cof- cup of coffee with me in the break, they're probably going to punch me in the face right there for giving them instructions. <laughs> that, that's an order, You must. They don't want orders. They don't want to submit. And can I say that lack of submission is causing disunity in the body. Yeah. <laughs> and also that passage goes on to say that as saints, when when we obey our leaders, when we work in submission with our leaders, when all of those things happen, it actually says there that that might just stop our pastors from groaning about us. Now, how much in the church do we hear about the people in the church groaning about the pastors? I mean, we know that shouldn't happen, right? We in uh, Moses and, and, and associates, uh, <laughs> when his family were complaining about him, and it said, and God heard, and God sorted it out. We're not... A, and. In Timothy, we're given, if, even if you have an accusation, a genuine accusation against an elder, there's a legitimate way to bring it. It's not, don't do anything and let them get away with it. And it's not, go tell everybody on the mountain. It's, there's a way to do it. And when we do it correctly, it brings unity instead of division. But when we do it wrongly, it's equally powerful, but in a negative context. But we hear all these things about people grumbling about pastors, but actually that passage talks about pastors grumbling about believers. (laughs) Make it a joy for your pastors. Is there any pastors here today? (laughs) Make it a joy. There's things we can do. And that's one of them, to maintain unity. All right, let's skip over a few things and then we're going to get Brad back involved because that was awesome this morning, Brad. Kicked us off beautifully. In 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 16, it tells us to be good servants of Christ. And it says to put these things before people. Verse 11 says, even command and teach these things, even if you're an Australian. Speaking to Australians. Command and teach, not just suggest, not just give gentle, loving advice, command and teach some things. And in 2 Timothy 2 verses, uh, verse 14, it tells us to be workers approved by God. And it tells us to be a worker approved by God, we need to remind God's people of some things and even charge them of some things before God. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 and onwards, uh, here again, uh, the, 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 the list, the, the ex-accountant list. It gives us a list of some things that a good servant and an approved worker, these are things that help us look like one of those. The first thing it says, preach the word. I love that we heard this morning about the Word, and I was excited that I knew I'm going to get up here this morning, I'm going to open the Word. I'm not going to just preach 30 minutes of opinion, we're going to look at the Word, we're going to read the Word, we're going to dig into the Word, preach the Word. Then it says, reprove and rebuke. A lot of leaders don't like those. And can I say a lot of people in our churches don't like those either. And some of the reasons some of them don't like it is because some of us leaders aren't that good at it. We need to reprove and rebuke, but we need to do it lovingly, gently, yet powerfully. powerfully. And then the next one is exhort with complete patience and teaching. can I just say, if, if we're not comfortable with reproving and rebuking and exhorting uh, with complete patience and teaching, if we're not going to teach, then we better learn how to tolerate. Because the things we won't address, are going to they're going to cultivate themselves in our churches. If we won't address them, they're going to develop and grow and become bigger problems because we wouldn't address them when they first emerged. Then it says, be sober-minded, endure suffering. I wish that one wasn't on the list, Tony. Do the work of an evangelist and then fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. Oh, we all love that one. Fulfill your ministry. Then 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 reminds us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. And when we are trained in righteousness, we may become competent and equipped for every good work. Now, I know in our church, there's been seasons where I look and go, there's not a lot of every good work going on. Why is no good work happening? Why is no worker working? And God keeps bringing it back and putting it on me. And so, are you training and are you equipping? Are you teaching? Are you exhorting? Are you rebuking? Are you exhorting? with? Are you doing the checklist? Now, we know there's no checklist, all right? It's just the ex-accountant part of me. Am I doing my responsibilities so that the believers can actually know what their responsibilities are and can grow and can do those things? (laughs) As I said at the start, I believe we're coming into an incredibly exciting season as the modern church. I'm, I'm excited about more of those encounters like we, we heard about from Greg's church. I'm excited about more testimonies of what God is doing, the, the incredible things. And we're going to partner with God powerfully. I mean, we've talked a lot about unity with one another and, and unity of faith. What about our unity with him? How is our relationship with Jesus? Are we in unity with him? I mean, when we come in and we worship, the moment we begin worshiping, we we feel that presence. We love that tangible presence of Jesus. We can worship anywhere, anytime, and we can enjoy his tangible presence anywhere, anytime. It's not a Sunday or a conference thing. I know we know that, but are we living in that? There's times where it feels more conducive and more easy, but the scripture tells us it's available all the time. And the way we go about our lives and conduct ourselves and I mean honestly, my wife and I have separate cars, and we go to most places in our separate cars, because I'm a very different cat. <laughs> and even a visit to a, a what do you call it here? a service station. You buy petrol, fuel? A garage. There we go. Even a trip to a garage for me is not a simple process. So a garage for us is where you get your car repaired. All right. All right. But, but we'll go your way. Because when I walk into the garage, I don't just see someone behind the counter that's there to take my money, lots of it, in exchange for very little fuel. <laughs> I see somebody who probably needs to have an encounter with Jesus today and, and he's in me. So I walk in there uh, and I know it's different for you. We actually have to get out of our cars, pump our own gas and actually walk in and make our own payment. So I walk in there with an attitude of God, is, is there any chance you want to say something to the person behind the counter today? And I walk in there and sometimes there'll be like five to ten minutes of conversation Well, I'm asking, how's your day? How's this? How's that? Uh, Just trying to hit on, is God speaking? And If he is, what's he saying? And if he is saying, how do I bring that across without looking like a complete and utter weirdo? (laughs) Just naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. And there's been times when my poor wife has been sitting in the car, knowing we're supposed to go somewhere. and, And she's not anti the things of God, just to be clear. But she's not in there hearing it and engaging with it. And she's like, we need to go, we need to go. And I'm just like trying to bring Jesus to the service station attendant. You all go shopping. You all go to supermarkets. You probably all buy gas or fuel at garages. (laughs) You go to restaurants, cafes. All of those places are filled with people who would love to hear a word from Jesus. In Australia, Australians are very anti the church. When I get into conversations and people say, what do you do? You try and stretch that one out for a little while before hitting them with I'm a pastor. (laughs) Because pastors aren't popular in Australia. It's like, oh, how are you going, mate? What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, all right. Yeah, great. But I just try and stretch it out and not tell them straight away. And you know, I'm in presentation. <laughs> I do a bit of public speaking. Just try and stretch it along for long enough that I can get some Jesus in before they find out I'm a pastor. <laughs> and you know, it's in those conversations that, that you can just developing a little bit of instead of cutting across and say I'm a pastor. Ugh. Just develop a little bit of unity, get a bit of camaraderie flowing, and then bring Jesus to the conversation. And we can all do that everywhere we go, all the time, and we're fulfilling the do the work of an evangelist. It's that easy. I think sometimes we read do the work of an evangelist, and go, oh, no, that's, you know, that's what the evangelist is for. We let them, no, no, the evangelist is to equip us so that we can do the work of the evangelist. And all of those gifts that Jesus gives to help us cultivate and bring this power of unity, to bring God's restoration, not just to us uh, individually, but to us collectively, so that we can all grow and mature together, and we can all but see the power of God released in and through our lives, everywhere we go all the time. Thanks for listening to my funny accent, Brad.